The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, today, Lloyd, our show is about information security. And just a few weeks ago, a few months ago, actually, I met a wonderful woman, Patricia Titus. I met her. We were both in Minnesota at a meeting. And I just said, my goodness, we have to have this brilliant, wonderful woman on our show. And so she is coming to us today. And let me let me just give you a little bit about her incredible background. Patricia Titus is a serial chief information security officer, and she's currently a member on the board of directors for Cyber United, which is a leading insider threat securities informatics company. She's also the technical advice. She's on the technical advisory board for CO3 Systems and Blue Ridge Networks. As a board member, Ms. Titus draws on her more than 22 years of security experience to help drive innovation and combat security threats and response. Patricia Titus is the former vice president and chief information security officer at Symantec, where she was responsible for rehabilitating the information security program. She played a strategic role in protecting Symantec's IT resources infrastructure, and information assets. Prior to joining Symantec, Patricia was Vice President and Chief and Global Chief Information Officer for Unisys Corporation, and she was the former Chief Information Officer at the TSA within the Department of Homeland Security. Patricia also worked overseas for several years in various positions with the United States Department of Defense, the U.S. State Department, and various private sector firms. And she's an active member in multiple dis- industry forums and associations dealing with cybersecurity. And she was the recipient of the Woman of Influence Award from both the Silicon Valley Business Journal in 2013 and the Executive Women's Forum in 2009. She does so many things I could go on and on, but there's more about her on our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you can see her beautiful picture. You can um, look at all the things that she's done and learn a lot more about her. And you can also find her on LinkedIn. So without further ado, Patricia, thank you so much for joining us from the East Coast. You're wonderful. Thanks, Mari. It's so great to be here. I'm very excited. Well, first, I have to ask you, how did you get to be such a techie and so brilliant in this area? 
Well, you know, I grew up in a family where I was the youngest of five, and my father thought it was really important for us girls to be pretty independent and be able to work on our own cars and tune them up and change tires. <laughs> and so I feel like it was kind of a natural progression into security. Um, I actually joined the Air Force uh, many, many years ago as a Morse code operator. Mm. I don't want to say how long ago, but that alone should date me. Um, <laughs> and that was really my first entrance into security to begin with. But technology is just a passion of mine. I really do love it. Well, you know, a lot of people don't even know what a CISO is. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what is a CISO? And we may, you know, we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, and it's a very, you know, it's the Irvine campus. We're very technology-oriented here. So people might really want to do what you're doing. So first, let's tell them, what is that? So a Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO, um, they really hold the responsibility for data protection and information security, so protecting the security assets or the assets of a company. Um, sometimes a CISO or a CSO, sometimes they drop the information um, when you own not just uh, information security, but sometimes you also own physical security and personnel security. So there's three disciplines that make up the information security role. Um, and the position, ha you know, oftentimes has a dual reporting. So you'll report um, either to a CIO or a CTO, a Chief Information Officer or a Chief Technology Officer, and then oftentimes the role also reports split to the Chief Executive Officer of the company. Um, and the reason is that if the CIO is trying to do something that's really risky for the company, the CEO usually wants to be aware of that. Right. Um, and then you also have a, respons a responsibility to the board of directors. That usually depends on the size of the company or organization. Wow. So that's, you know, you're really up there. It's not like you're down in, you know, having to report up many reports. You're very close to the top or at the top, Right. Well, you are close to the top, but I'll tell you, you spend an awful lot of time in the weeds. It's no. a great position that allows you exposure to keeping your hands in the technology and the operations as well as touching at the top levels. So it really takes a very unique person that has um, a lot of strong technical background. So um, to become really a CISO, you really need to have a degree in one of the computer science areas, hmm. um, and and then having strong business classes or an MBA for some is very helpful as well because you're crossing that bridge between technology um, and you're also crossing the bridge into the business side of your of your company, and you deal with your chief uh, your your chief of human capital, your human resources department, you're also going to deal very closely with your general counsel. So you're going to have a strong relationship with both of those organizations. Um, and we can probably talk more about that later, but it's a very tight relationship that you have at the top with the other C-suite um, roles. 
and you probably have to have really good human skills and social skills like you do. You have to be a good mediator because sometimes you're probably going to have to mediate between the CEO and, and maybe the chief marketing person, right? When they want yep. to do something that's risky and you've got to be there to, to kind of say, wait a minute, maybe we better not do that, right? Well, a lot of times it's we can do it, but let's look at doing it the right way. Or um, you, you don't want to say no, you want to say yes, but. And right. that's been a challenge that I've had to learn over the years of being a, a CISO now for over a decade. Um, and you have to have a passion for security. You have to be really organized, and you have to be willing to work really long hours. And and you have to have kind of a sense of not worrying so much, because I, I would imagine that is a, a kind of a scary and a worrisome position, because, you know, if somebody takes everything, you know, gets into your system and you, we've been talking about cybersecurity, I mean, that could be just, that could destroy a company, and it really could hurt all of the users and the consumers that deal with the company, right? It can be a very damaging, yes. Um, sometimes decisions are made to assume a level of risk um, by deploying a technology or putting an application in the environment. And, um, you know, as the CISO, you've laid out the risk for people to make a good business decision and they've maybe not chosen the, the, uh, the tightest security and something happens and it can be very damaging. There can be a huge brand issue. And so you really have to have a thick skin. Yes. Um, and you've got to have really good, what I like to call filters. So you have to be able to filter out, um, kind of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt pieces and put it into reality so that people can make really smart business decisions. And at the end of the day, Mari, you can put all the strong security controls in place, and if your user base isn't educated properly, they can make a big mistake. Yes. And so, you know, you can put all the tightest security controls in place. I like to call it the hard exterior with the gooey inside, <laughs> and the gooey inside are our users, and we love them. They're our front line of defense, but not properly educated. They can become that wink weakest link in your armor. Right, right. So we are speaking today with Patricia Titus, who is, as she calls herself, a serial chief information officer. She's been the the CISO for many companies, and she's on many boards. And I was extremely impressed when I met her and was delighted to serve with her in a meeting where I learned so much from her. It was just great. So I come from the privacy side. I'm, I'm not a techie. I'm not, you know, I didn't have a dad like yours who was always inventing and doing all these exciting things. <laughs> um, my dad was a furrier, believe it or not. So in Chicago, I stayed warm. But other than that, I didn't have that kind of thing. But but privacy is, is kind of, you know, what we talk about on here as well, besides security. So why don't you kind of explain the the how they work together and, and how the chief uh, security officer works with the chief privacy officer and how that whole thing works together? Right. Well, so I had the benefit at Unisys 
of being not only the chief information security officer, but also being the chairman of the privacy council, which essentially was the chief privacy officer position. So you wore both hats. You take one hat off, put the other one on. I did. Back and forth. (laughs) I did. And I, you know, that was a quick learn for me that there is a completely different skill set needed between privacy and security. They are really two very distinct um, roles. And um, taking on that role, it certainly educated me very quickly, but I also realized it was a position that it made it difficult for me to focus on my core mission. Yes. Um, and so there was a lot of discussion with our general counsel about um, getting the right person to take over that role. Um, but privacy and security have got to work very close together. They have to have a close alliance and allegiance because privacy is about protecting certain types of information and security is the execution of that protection. Mm. And if a decision is made or security is lax in the protection of the the data, uh, it can uh, result in a data breach. Now, data breaches can happen a lot of ways. Uh, They can happen through a malicious attack where someone gets into the system, takes information, extracts it, and makes it public or utilizes it for criminal intent. Um, But privacy breaches can happen a lot of ways. So they don't just happen through information technology. They can also happen through people throwing information in the trash. Right. And we've seen that time and time again. And so the relationship between security and privacy and physical security is very critical. And then visual privacy um, is very important as well, as being not allowing people to see certain information. And so there's this big circle of a relationship that happens between privacy and security and an awareness that continues to take place as we continue to find new ways that information is breached. And so that relationship between the privacy officer, I had a great relationship with the privacy officer at um, Symantec. We worked together very closely. Uh, We were on each other's advisory boards, which really helps to expose issues and problems before they become a catastrophe. Exactly. And, you know, I always hear that old adage that you can have security without privacy, but you cannot have privacy without security. Would you say that that's really pretty true or what? I I really do believe that. Yeah. I yeah. do believe that. Yeah. And I think it, what the beauty of, of having the chief security officer be working as a team with the privacy officer is they're now doing in, in, uh, in California, actually, there, you know, under the attorney general's office. Um, I think that that is so wonderful because, like I said, you can cross-educate each other as to what those issues are, and they're becoming more and more important, aren't they? Well, privacy is, especially if you're in a global corporation, every country is coming up with their own rules, their own laws. It's virtually impossible. I, I don't know how you privacy officers can keep up with it, to be honest with you. It's, I mean, we have 50 sovereign nations, which I call the United States, and each state has its own rules. Right. And keeping up with those, you know, if you've got employees in those states, is so difficult. It's, it really is a, an, an art and a science together. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're, you know, we're hearing a lot about cybersecurity attacks and 
of course, identity theft, which is one of my specialties. So um, what are some of the things that we really don't hear about? You know, some of the things we don't talk about or that don't get a lot of um, press are supply chain vulnerabilities. Mm. Um, now, that, that's something that a lot of people don't even know. What is a supply chain? Um, so a supply chain, if we think about um, how we get, uh, how a computer is made. Let's use that as a good example for our folks on, on, on our campus here. Right. So the, if, you, if you open up the lid of any sort of a laptop and look at it, you'll see chips and component sets from multiple countries that come together in a plant somewhere that get, all get put together, and it's kind of magic to me, um, and it all gets plugged in, and, and somehow it just all works. It kind of, you know, goes, ends up in Best Buy or ends up uh, at the Apple Store, and you purchase it, and you take it home, and you turn it on, and you might have to do a few things, but there's something wizard set up so that it's pretty easy, and it just works. Now, a vulnerability in the supply chain could mean that someone has put something into the chipset in the development process. So Ooh. as the chips are being made, someone could put a tiny little uh, listening device. Mm. Um, we call them root kits. Um, they can do different things, but maybe a little listening device so that when I take my, my computer home, it has the ability to learn information that I'm putting into that hard drive on the computer, and it's able to slowly send the information out so it looks like a normal packet, and it's being sent to a, a bad guy. Wow. Uh, it could be a, a nation state. It could be a criminal. Um, yeah. And so now they have access to our devices. Um, and so supply chain vulnerabilities are a real serious problem that we deal with in information security. Where does our equipment come from? How do companies like Cisco, Microsoft, how do they validate their supply chain? So most of those companies, the big corporations, mm. have programs. Uh, Microsoft has one, uh, trusted, Trustworthy Computing. Cisco has the Cisco Safe program. So when you're looking at buying a computing device, this is, this is my advice to my yeah. family members, yeah. is make sure you are buying it from a reputable firm that yes. you're not just buying it off of Craigslist. And if right. you are, you better be smart enough to look for the malware that could be loaded on that device, which could actually extract your identity. Wow. So supply chain's a pretty big thing. We don't talk about it a lot because I think it's confusing to a lot of people. But it is one of those things that is top on the list, especially when we look at our critical infrastructure, like our power grids. Right. We right. want to make sure that those... That power grid is as protected as possible, and we don't want bad equipment doing bad things that is very hard to find it with software products. And, uh, you know, this is another area that those folks that are going through college on your campus are probably learning about digital forensics and, you know, in it, they're, maybe they're even in some of the cyber hive innovation areas where they're looking at innovative new technologies to find this <laughs> bad stuff that is infiltrating our computer systems and how does it get in and how where does it get put in the life cycle it could it might not happen at the chip plant it could happen at an application yeah and we're downloading so many things now from the i stores and all these other places that 
We don't know what's in those applications, but we're trusting them. Exactly. And and you're right. People don't think about that. And I was just thinking about when government entities, whether it's school districts or whatever, and they have to choose the lowest bid, Mm. are they choosing the lowest bid and it might be infiltrated with some of those you know, things that packets that you're talking about, that is just amazing that I didn't think about it when until you talked about this. Yep. So this is one of those areas that one of the first things I do when I go into a company, either as an advisor, a consultant, or in my role as the CISO, um, is to meet immediately with the procurement folks. Right. Because the procurement people are the ones making the buying decisions. And when you use some examples about, yes, it's important to get the best price, right. but you also need the best quality. Yes. And if you're going to buy equipment, you need to buy it from a value-added reseller of that particular product. Right. And the reason being is you can show time after time after time where purchasing equipment from Craigslist or eBay might be cheaper but you may not know what you're getting, and you can actually, we actually have some statistics that are available that will show some of these data breaches that have happened from having counterfeit equipment in your environment. It's oh, my goodness. Very frightening. It is. And the very cost of that isn't worth what you save. No, yeah, penny wise, pound foolish. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that is important. So, um, and, uh, you know, if I'm buying from Dell, you know, just give that example because you were talking about Microsoft. I mean, am I safe if, 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 you know, I know a lot of companies will just buy, you know, 10 or 20 or whatever um, Dell systems all at once. I mean, is, is that something that's safe that we're doing? I mean, it seems like a reputable company. Right. Well, if, you ever, if you're buying from a company like that, they have very close, they, they actually, there is uh, an accountability component to it. Okay. And so they're questioned oftentimes by the government um, because the government utilizes a lot of products from uh, PC manufacturers, hardware right. manufacturers, and there is a lot of discussion that happens about supply chain and and running testing. Um, but I think the other part, there is a, a bit of that that falls upon an enterprise, um, not so much on the consumer. I really feel that there's a lot of good consumer-grade software which will help protect you. Um, but there's there are... Uh, there is the capability, as we've seen uh, in the press recently, that there are some capabilities where you can be snooped on. Right. Um, you know, people utilize social media and other areas. So uh, the hardware almost is kind of secondary to some of the other things that we're doing right. on the Internet that may get us into trouble from a security perspective or a privacy perspective. Right. We're speaking with Patricia Titus, who is this wonderful Chief Information Security Officer. She's been a Chief uh, a CISO for many companies, and she's currently a member on the Board of Directors for Cyber United, and elite, which is a leading insider threat securities informatics company. So this is, this is scary stuff. How about the dirty insider? I mean, we don't hear a whole lot about that too much either. Well, I like to say that there are two there are two types of insider threats. There's the well-intended insider um, that causes a problem because he's trying he or she is trying to get their job done. Right. And so maybe they set up a wireless access point. They don't 
enable the security on it because it's a pain to tell everybody the password. And so they plug it into the core network, you know, they plug it into your enterprise network, and the next thing you know, you've got everybody on the campus able to access um, information on your network, right? So. Right. Um, they're just trying to do their job, and, and they don't mean to be malicious, but a lot of times, quite frankly, people just aren't educated. Um, right. People haven't taken the time to help them understand why they're part of the solution, right. but they're also part of the problem. They always say the weakest link, right, is yep. the human factor? It is. And so, you know, using uh, companies get are, are really big right now on this expansion into social media, and so you've got this, you know, guy that's trying to share information, and so he puts sensitive customer data to share with his colleague uh, in Dropbox, and there may not be the right level of security that needs to be there to protect that information. And so people are really just trying to get their job done. Now, the, the, the malicious insider is a different problem. Right. And there's a lot of new technology that's coming out to help us find that uh, insider. And what I really like about Cyber United, and I know there's other companies that are doing this as well, is it takes the human sciences into consideration instead oh. of just artificial intelligence. Right. Um, so you can, you know, if, if John comes into work every day and uh, he is uh, every day logs in at eight o'clock and he works until five and he accesses these systems. Um, and that's normal behavior for John. Right. And one day John comes in at 5 o'clock in the morning mm. and he stays until 8 o'clock at night and he's accessing systems that he does, that are not within his normal chain of command, nor what his normal behavior would be. Now that should flag an alert. It doesn't right. mean that what he's doing is malicious, but right. it might mean maybe he's on a special project, right. maybe he's been given something, to, but it should send an alert that somebody should now notice that John's habits have changed. Right. Not that he's guilty of anything yet. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a little audit trail to see what's going on. Exactly. And um, what's interesting about it is people's behaviors sometimes change situationally. Um, and so, you know, if we, if we think of some of the recent events that have happened of people leaking information to WikiLeaks and others, um, you know, the, there are there are great examples of people that have had access to information that they shouldn't have had access to. Right. And um, it's it's a very interesting problem that we have because identity and access management is a very difficult problem. And I know there's a lot of technology companies that are probably thinking, I need to pick the phone up and call Patty Titus or Patricia <laughs> Titus and help her know what I what a product we have. Right. But right. it's a very difficult human intensive problem to solve because it's really a person has to decide if another person should have access to certain data types. Right. And so it's a difficult problem. Yeah. I mean, um, do they need it? I mean, that's the question is why do they need it? Right? Why do they need to have access to this? Or if they do need to have access to it uh, once in a while, maybe that should be something that they can get special permission when they need it once in a while. But yeah, it's it's hard when you have a big company. Absolutely. Yeah, so imagine 25,000 people. Sure, it's meeting, crazy. <laughs> you know, especially when at Symantec was very interesting because it was a development company, software development. Right. And a lot of people needed access to a lot of 
very sensitive company intellectual property. And giving people access and, and controlling that can be very labor-intensive, where you have to have a whole workforce full of people making judgments and decisions about who should be accessing data, when to take it away, when is it aged and the person hasn't accessed it in 30, 60, 90 days, and you take away their access. And sure enough, it'll be some corporate executive, and he'll want to access it the very next day. You take his privileges away. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Well, but we are, a, but you know what? We are out of time. Would you believe that? We can, oh we're going to have to do this again, Patricia, because there are so many more questions I would love to ask you. So we will do it again. That's just what we will do. So um, I just want people to know that they can go to Patricia Titus, T-I-T-U-S, on LinkedIn and find out all about her and contact her. And we will have you back again and see you very soon, Patricia. Thank you, because we're both going to be at the Poneman very yes, soon. Ma'am. So it's wonderful. Okay, we, we am, I'm so glad we got to meet and you're terrific guests. And thank you for all your wisdom. Thank you so much, Mari. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Join us next week. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.